For January 23rd, 2023, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 760, The Everything Movie. Hello and welcome to the Overthinking It podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. This is Pete Fenzel. Matt Rather has... uh, well, he's something of an unobtainium today. He's beyond our reach. <laughs> beyond our reach, but beyond our grasp. Unobtainium, sure. unobtainium is old and busted. The new MacGuffin is uh, well brain goo. But we'll, Ooh, we'll get into that. Ambergris. Loving it. He, yes, a- Ambergris is the MacGuffin now. All right. I have a lot to learn today, and we'll explain why. But first, I have to say that today, as we record... January 22nd, 2023, is the 15th anniversary of the founding of Overthinking It. Matt and Mark, I'm so glad and proud that we've had this project that's gone on so much longer than our college years together and our <laughs> other time together. Uh, it's It's been beautiful, and I'm really grateful and happy. And I hope you guys are feeling great, too. Uh, that you can hear on the podcast, we've got Matt Belinke. Matt, thanks for joining today. Uh, if you can't get out of it, Pete, get into it. I don't know what that means. And Mark Lee is also with us. <laughs> Mark. To paraphrase the old lady from Titanic, it's been 15 long years. It has been 15 long years indeed. So, figured for our 15th anniversary of the site, I do something a little different. All of you have heard me do a lot of talking and yapping over the years of overthinking it. And I decided that this was the perfect occasion for me to learn how to be a better listener. So over the course of today's podcast, I will be using the tips and tricks in the 2021 Harvard Business Review article, How to Become a Better Listener, by Boris Groisberg and Robin Abrahams, which I'll link in our show notes and post to our Discord. And I'm going to give these skills their ultimate test, which is to try to avoid making emotional snap judgments or often offering an uneducated opinion on Avatar The Way of Water. That's right. It's the Avatar The Way of Water podcast. Mark and Matt have seen it. I have not. And I am going to try to listen to them talk about it with an open heart and an open mind and no judgment because I don't know. I haven't seen it yet. And maybe I will see it at some point when five hours open up in my schedule with my two young kids. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Perhaps. That Perhaps. That is the ultimate unobtainium. But I can already... So behavioral tip number five is to regulate my emotional response as I listen. And I'm recognizing that I'm already getting a little excited. So instead, let's turn it to the real experts here. Let's start with the topic. Oh, by the way, all spoilers for Avatar The Way of Water and for Avatar, not for Avatar The Last Airbender. Yes, for Avatar The Last Airbender, the movie. No for Legend of Korra, yes for The Abyss. I think that covers everything, right? <laughs> also Titanic. <laughs> and Titanic. If you haven't seen Titanic <laughs> the boat, yet, the boat, the boat sinks. sinks. Yeah. So yes, excellent. So, gentlemen, the first topic that you told me you wanted to address with regards to Avatar The Way of Water was the topic of immortality. But before we get there, do you want to give a summary to those of us who don't have five hours? I should say that less judgmentally. I should say that with a more open heart, and I should say that uh, with less... Emotion. For those of us who haven't had the opportunity to see the movie, but still want to share with you your description of your journey, what is this movie about and what what happens roughly in this movie? Look, you um, take it away. Okay. 
So uh, l- l- let me try to do the quick version. So the first movie sort of builds up to this this pitched but fairly fast uh, battle between the humans and the the Navi that ends with the you know I think I think there's you know the first time there's real violence against the Navi. There's sort of a tree where they all live. Uh, their their fancy treehouse is broken, and that leads to the the Navi being sort of rallied from all around the area for like a massive counterattack to protect the home tree, and that ends with all the humans being mostly wiped out and the rest of them being being sent home so oh, okay most all the rest of them being sent home my tip number five here matt is to ask more questions than i need to the navi are aliens yes the navi, okay. the navi are aliens but they're they're so human-like that they might as well be be fancy humans right they're they're, like, they're blue people to which the follow-up question would be blue people what do you mean blue people but what do you mean blue people mark <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really blue cat people. Um, with Pete, I know, and I'm using this as a as a brief. We're, we're trying to spool out the, the plot of Avatar to uh, way of way of the wastewater. Um, <laughs> but before, I'm, I'm using uh, this as a detour to just like uh, remind the audience of some context for you, Pete, coming in to this, which you're selling yourself short uh, in your mission to become a better listener. Which you are, are a great listener, by the way. Like, oh. don't sell yourself short in that regard. I will try to sell myself short. Thank you. Famously, Pete, you wrote an article on the overthinkingit.com and its 15 year uh, history, which was one of the highest traffic articles, which led six reasons that Avatar will suck. And then also the follow up six reasons that Avatar sucked. You were not the biggest fan of Avatar is what I'm saying is that that was kind of like so that's like your 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 prior going into tip number seven is to acknowledge your shortcomings. And I will acknowledge that I was biased against Avatar before it even came out because of the cat boobs and the power armor without glass on the front. (laughs) But it is, I mean, that's one of the points I wanted to make about the, the Navi, which is that they're not, they're not alien in any way that counts, right? They they have a right, yeah. exotic appearance, right? They they well, they look alien, but they are they are human at heart in any you know, they're they're completely accessible as people. There is this like metaphysical connection with Iwa and the spirit realm and um you know the the nature uh cat person uh, bond and things like that, which are um, arguably transhuman. But your point, Matt, like by and large stance, yeah, they are at the end of the day, like, you know, very human and meant to be relatively human in that way. All right. So, um, Matt, sorry, you were summarizing the plot. Please continue. Yeah. So what I think is interesting about Avatar 2 is is you sort of expected to uh, sort of build up to another apocalyptic battle to, to, you know, for the fate of the planet. And it kind of doesn't like what happens is very quickly the humans return in force and they once again begin to sort of like strip mine the planets and mm-hmm, uh mm-hmm. at one yep. point the the human general in charge of them is actually played by Edie Falco um which is fun to see her <laughs> to see her on the big screen and she just sort of casually mentions that the the plan is not just to mine the resources and sell them off but like eventually to make that the new human homeworld because she just sort of mentions in passing that like earth is earth is uh, circling the drain it's it's been um if anyone saw elysium that is very much how i imagine yeah. earth of the future is that it's it's just completely old and busted and we're taking over Pandora now. It's 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 big. It's got plenty of water, as we're about to learn in the second act. Um, <laughs> and so that the what happens is that the the Navi I, I, should I, should I be putting the emphasis on the first or second syllable? I feel like this is one of those things where it's like, are you a human or are you a native? The, the <laughs> I, I, na- first or second syllable? I would say that uh, are they uh, Navi or are they the Navi? Let's call them the Navi. 
Navi. All right. I will so say that, but I don't know. I'm acknowledging my shortcomings. I'll also be repeating the last few words you say back to you sometimes because the article tells me to do that also. The Navi, the Navi, yes. So the, the Navi uh, begin an insurgency basically to try to, like, you know, uh, pick off uh, some of the human mining operations to, to basically just fight back against the infrastructure of colonialism. Um, and then what happens, this is all within the first 30 minutes. What happens, it becomes clear that the humans are targeting specifically the, the main character from Avatar 1, Jake Sully, played by Sam Worthington via motion capture, who used to be a human, but at the very conclusion of Avatar 1, uh, sort of uh, merges permanently with his Navi, bo- sorry, Navi body. I feel like I'm messing it up, but he emerges permanently with the body. So now he, he's gone fully native. Um, and it becomes clear that they are targeting him specifically because he is the leader of the insurgency and he has military, human military training. And so that in order to protect his family and and by extension to protect the tribe that he is part of because he, he has become a target, he has to go into hiding. He has to flee and go to a different part, a different a different biome is what he needs to go to. And really the rest of the movie, like and this is this is all in the first, I'd say, thirty or forty five minutes. And the rest of the movie is all about him looking for a new home. It's hopefully a home that is far enough from the sort of human yeah. Uh, you know, incursion to protect him. Although it, it, it's, I think everyone acknowledges that at some points, you know, the, the humans are just going to keep expanding and this problem is going to have to be dealt with. But that's not the action of this movie. No, nobody makes an attempt to stage, like, you know, to, to, to take out the humans once and for all. It's really about protecting this one particular family and looking for a place of temporary uh, sanctuary. Yeah, they find it. And then the, there's a lot of the movie spent on. Um, them trying to integrate with this new society, right? And so, yeah, this interesting uh, evolution of the story where the first one is about Jake learning how to go native and become um, a proper Navi. And now this one is um, Jake's uh, tree pe- people family um, becoming proper water people, uh, integrating water with that. Becoming yeah. proper water people. Becoming proper, yes, that is a technical term, right? So there's like, and importantly, there's the the the, the three children that are all roughly teenage age um and then there are of course rivalries with the other um youths of the water people it plays out exactly as you would expect there really aren't many many story surprises um there are some interesting story bits for sure um but uh, that is like kind of central to the emotional core of the movie like the family bits and then also that uh, kind of yeah. cultural integration piece so so the second act of Avatar 2 is very much like the second act of Avatar 1 in that it's a bunch of scenes where it's like you need to learn the ropes about how to survive now. The ropes. It's like everything you thought you knew, uh, you need to relearn, right? Which means that both you need to learn the techniques and tactics that we use to survive. You need to learn the animals that live here, both the animals that will work with you and the ones that are dangerous predators that you need to avoid. And you also need to learn the sort of spiritual ways because there's like a whole – there's like a whole philosophy and, and a whole metaphysical uh, level to the to their society. And until you sort of accept that and, and, and learn the truth of it, you're always going to be an outsider. Mm. You also need to learn how to hold your breath for a very long time underwater, which is important because you're on a James Cameron set. And boy, does that man love water. Is You have to hold your breath for a very long time underwater. One of the guidelines I'm trying to follow is to not rehearse my response while you're talking. Because so many ideas keep coming up and, and floating away. But I'm really trying to stay <laughs> present here. So holding your breath 
I presume does that is that end up being very important? Is there a time where someone needs to stay underwater oh, for a long oh, time? Oh, oh good goodness. <laughs> so so much. See, I'm getting um, to the issue faster because I'm listening better. I'm understanding <laughs> what the movie's really about. It's about holding your breath. <laughs> yeah. And they and this comes up very so one of the first scenes that happens after they sort of like get get to the get to the water tribe, and the water tribe sort of grudgingly agrees to let them stay, even though the water tribe knows that this is potentially gonna put a target on their backs, having this sort of wanted it you know intergalactically wanted fugitive uh harboring with them uh the water tribe you know they they do the thing where it's like my my hot daughter is going to teach you our ways with by the way that has predictable <laughs> my hot results. daughter is going to teach you our ways i am it's, monitoring it's my emotions right now yes. avatar one yes uh, right now it's like if, if in avatar three they go to like yet another by by the way it's like it is it did not escape my notice that this movie does have some similarities with the other avatar the cartoon avatar and that there are a number of biomes each of which has like a, a people who have sort of mastered that element um and i am i am curious that there are going to be five avatar movies and i wonder if if you know by the by the end we're going to work our way up to the last airbender that would be something the last airbender that would be something indeed um, i need to but- see that one then i got a lot to watch yeah. Anyway, but there's a there's a scene very early on where they the the sort of kids the 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 forest uh, navi who are there for sanctuary go for sort of their first swim to explore their environment, and the the water kids right the water navi sort of can't help but tease them about how terrible they are at swimming and how terrible they are at holding their breath, um, which to be to be honest it, it does seem like there are some physical differences between the the navi, uh, one of which of course the the color blue is a beautiful aqua. Right. It's it's more of a greenish blue, which is beautiful. But also, I think I think they have webbed fingers. You know, they, they're they've evolved to be better swimmers and presumably better breath holders. And so there is there is some sense of which, like, they can learn all the all the techniques and tactics and how to use the tools. But they're never going to be adapted for the environment as well as the water navi, which is. And by the way, one thing I don't know if this came out in the first one. I think it did, but it didn't. I didn't really internalize it. Is that one way that the that the avatar, right, the the outsiders are marked as outsiders, even though they have the alien bodies now, is those alien bodies have the wrong number of fingers. They have they have five fingers like humans instead of uh, four fingers like true true navi and so that you can look at jake sully right even though he's in the alien body he still looks alien he still he still sort of carries this remnant of humanity and also his children uh i think they all have five fingers and so that whole family is sort of marked as like well you're not you're not fully you you have some of the the interloper you have some of the sky people sort of in you and they're, they're looked on a suspicion because of that that would be creepy, I think, if they're looked on with suspicion. Thinking about a person, if you knew a person and just their whole family all had six fingers and you asked them why and you said, well, I'm or they said I'm an alien in a human body. And while I was able to copy your body entirely, I was not able to correctly copy your number of fingers. I think that would give me pause. I think I would be bothered by that. And then I would say, how long can you hold your breath? <laughs> yeah. So wait, so so it's Bridge to Darabithia is what I'm gathering, right? Is that there's a bunch of children and they go out in the woods, they go out in the water and they're doing fun stuff. And then one of them dares them to do something that's kind of dangerous. And then that kid dies. And then all the other kids spend the rest of the movie learning about grief. Is that what this movie is about? 
Close with Wait, not, what? Not with the, <laughs> yeah, not yeah. One of the guys, guys. there is yeah. one of the I, uh, maybe like the the pivotal sort of turning point in the movie <laughs> is that the sort of native kids, almost like as a hazy ritual, sort of goads one of the the forest kids, Jake Sully's uh, children, into doing something dangerous, and he gets into a nearly fatal situation as a harrowing escape from a, a really cool massive shark creature, like in The Little uh, Mermaid. Yes, it's a lot like in The Little Mermaid where the shark creature is, is crashing through these massive coral reefs just with this unescapable power. And the kid is desperately swimming away and trying to hide underwater. But, of course, he's not good at holding his breath. And so that you see him hiding from this predator that's going to pick him off in seconds if he comes out from the safety of the coral reef. But he's, like, looking longingly at the surface, which is, like, 30 feet over his head, knowing that he, he has to go for a breath of air. Um, it's, it's one of many, like, really great action sequences that are sort of pencil it's funny it's like it, it it would be wrong to describe this as an action movie it certainly has amazing action in it but it it slows down so it's a three hour and ten minute movie and it, it has these long sequences where it's just people swimming it's just people sort of like staring at each other people talking to whales it, this is very important yes. too. like in star trek four it is. It is very. So I, I guess we should talk about the whales now. That's right? that's why. Okay. Yeah. So my it tells me my guideline tells me don't put in your own words unless you need to. I should have just said talking to whales. There we go. Would have been more comfortable. <laughs> I'm more on your wavelength. <laughs> don't bring Star Trek into this, Pete. It doesn't. You're listening. You don't have to be clever. You can just listen and understand and appreciate what it's like to watch Avatar Two: The Way of the Water People. So this, uh, this is a movie in which a, a child befriends a whale. And at first I thought it was going to be more of like a free willy situation where like he and the whale have an unspoken connection, but of course they're different species so they can't actually talk. But then like pretty quickly we get to the point where the whale has subtitles. Like the whale is just straight up, straight <laughs> the up. The whale talking. has subtitles. Got it. Excellent. Yeah. Love it. I think it's implied, Mark, Mark, is it supposed to be like a psychic connection or, or does the kid actually learn to understand almost like Ellen DeGeneres is doing whale noises in Finding Nemo? <laughs> I think it's the latter. That the kid sure just the, the whale language. The psychic connection in, in these Avatar movies between, particularly between uh, um, uh, different, across different species is through the hair braid business, right? And that they don't actually do that with the whales. Uh, yeah. I have to right. ask more questions than I think I need to. <laughs> do they check how many flippers the whale has? Is it possible that the whale is a human that's in a whale body? <laughs> it is once once again, it's a more perceptive question than you know because they do <laughs> check how many flippers the whale has, and the whale has less than the amount of flippers they expect. But it's not because the whale is a human; it's because the whale has a a dark history with humans uh-huh. that that bonds it to the Navi. Because the whale, the whale species, is. Super intelligent, right? So of course, I, I should probably introduce. The whale species is super intelligent. Of course they are. Definitely. Much much like in Star Trek Four, it posits that like whales are actually smarter than we are, and we just don't know. It's almost like a so long and thanks for all the fish thing. Where like the whales humans are wouldn't bother to talk to the whales, but if you bothered, you would realize that they're actually much more an advanced culture than we are. I realize they're not technically whales, they're not human, they're not earth whales. But they really look a lot like whales. It's almost like I feel like James during the what that fifteen years of development of this movie, there were probably so many designs for this this huge sea creature, this sort of king of the deep. Um, some of which probably looked a lot more alien, a lot more exotic. And I think the final design, the final design really looks a lot like a recognizable Earth whale. 
and I, I got to imagine it was sort of Cameron's choice to make it not not an exotic fantasy animal, but like an animal that like we would recognize as a whale and would be comfortable calling a whale. Interesting. Um, so they, do I mean, you feel comfortable calling it a whale? Do you feel when you call it a whale, you feel comfortable with that? Yeah, well, especially because the the sort of conflict at the end of the movie is that there there's a group of humans who are quite obviously whalers. Um and and uh, obviously gave, whalers are they turtlenecks? Do they have corn cob pipes? Do they have harpoons? <laughs> they, <laughs> they have beards. harpoons. They, they have that, beards and harpoons. Yeah, that they oh, do. Okay. And so, something else that very importantly makes this creature functionally a whale is that with one one of the kids, the one we were talking about before, who forms the bond with the whale um, in a crucial part of the movie, literally goes into the belly of the whale as he is on his own hero's journey oh, to no. discover deep and important truths. I mean, it's not quite fully perfectly mapped on the on the um. I was about to say the James Cameron hero's journey, but the, the Joseph same, Campbell is this hero's the same journey. kid who gets in the Little Mermaid chase scene with the giant shark? Yeah, of course, of course. And yeah. that, so that kid survives the Little Mermaid chase scene with the giant shark, and the giant shark and the whale are different creatures. Yeah, was, I mean, you you could uh, there, there's like half a sentence between those two because what happens is that the kid is about to get off by the shark, and he is saved by this majestic creature. Who he then who he then does a solid for because there is a harpoon embedded in this thing and and the the whale can't get the harpoon out so it's 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 like the uh with the the fable about the mouse and the lion right right that yep. the kid helps the the whale get the harpoon out um and it turns out that both the kid and the whale are outsiders from their own society that they outsiders don't, from their own society it checks out. That the the whale is literally an outcast from whale society because of the whale backstory that he will then explain but like you remind me do they literally say i see you to each other because they they, they get each other you know the whole thing with that that's the whole thing with avatar remember the line i see you i see um so we should i think we should um fast forward a little bit to the kind of the the action climax and also how many hours into the movie are we at this point like an hour and a half okay okay (laughs) halfway right so it's it's basically like so imagine this is the 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 family the tree family has to go into hiding they have to leave everything they've ever known they have to leave cch pounder yep uh they have to leave cch pounder i'm monitoring my emotions right now i'm at (laughs) because you can imagine how sad that would be for you for dutch Um, you would never be able to handle it yeah for sure yeah and so the the kids are so jake sully you get the feeling that like he is used to he's done this before, right? He's given up one form of life and sort of picked up another and he's he's sort of entered a new society and proven himself. And so that he he is almost more comfortable in the water society because it, this is like he's done Avatar one. The kids are miserable and miss their home and and feel like outcasts. And indeed, they are sort of like outcasts. And so and and in, and the the middle son, this is the one who who is menaced by the shark, is you know uh, taken out to the to the deep ocean and left for dead by mean teenager, mean teenage bullies, uh, aquatic bullies. And then you know halfway through the movie, he meets the shark and the shark. Uh, sorry, he meets the whale. Okay. And the whale becomes his best friend and they bond over that the fact that like they don't quite fit in, that they are estranged from like their people, that like they're not sure whether they're going to be able to see the people that they love again. And it's and it's uh, and in fact like what what is the instigating act for the the final action is that the whale is a danger. And yeah, I can't believe we've gotten this far without mentioning the movie's main antagonist because the okay. movie spends a lot of time 
on this guy. There are many scenes focusing just on the bad guy that, that do not feature any Navi or any Jake Sully. And he's not uh, a so- whaler and he's not a bully and he's not uh, one of the other water Navi who's cracking down on them for being outsiders. No, Mark, Mark you want to talk about Colonel Duke Nukem? Yes, Colonel <laughs> Duke Nukem, hail to the king, baby, is back. <laughs> no, he has a real name. It's Miles Quaritch. However, in my head, you'll forever be Colonel Duke Nukem because he talks like this <laughs> and looks like a carbon copy of Duke Nukem. Okay, so the villain from the first movie, um, of course, is killed uh, in the big action sequence at, at the end of there. Um, conveniently, they had um, downloaded a copy of his consciousness. Um, before he downloaded died, downloaded a copy and, of his consciousness. Yes, downloaded it, and then they <laughs> uploaded Nukem it. Active listening. They uploaded it into a you know DNA synthesized Navi body. How convenient! Or not just him, but several other of his uh, you know meathead um, you know evil marine compatriots were also resurrected in this uh, crazy and ghoulish way. <laughs> and uh, Belinky, you're right to point out that like they really kind of take this in stride. They're just like, huh. I'm back, baby, as a yeah, as a blue so, as a blue Navi, and uh, and they're out for vengeance. But there's also the added twist that uh, Colonel Duke Nukem, le- as a as a human, left behind a human child who like tries to go native native and really identifies with the Navi people, and then integrates in, with their society, and that sets up like you know the big uh, the has has in fact been adopted by Jake Sully. Effective, uh, yeah, 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 for all intents and purposes, yeah. Yeah, but of course, Jake Sully thought this guy was it, it wasn't supposed to be like a, a spiteful thing that he did is uh, Jake Sully thought that the, the dad was dead. Uh, all the humans had been kicked off the planet and they, they apparently one of the quirks of the, the cryo sleep that you use to travel through deep space is that you can't do it with a little kid. And so they they would have sent Quaritch's uh, kid back to Earth, but they couldn't. And so basically, this is the one human who was just sort of stranded there. So they adopted him kind of out of mercy or out of necessity. Um, but of course, like Corage takes this as a as a sort of a personal affront. The fact that the man who killed him, technically not actually the man who killed him, it was his wife. It was uh, it was uh, uh, Zoe Saldana was the one who actually killed him. But the the man who who he died in Mortal Kombat with has adopted his child. So um, that that certainly yeah. Human children cannot hold their breath for very long. Is this child? I mean, this is this is that's not a question. That's a statement. One of my guidelines here is to integrate multiple sources of information. So my understanding is that by and large, human children can't hold their breath for exceptionally long periods of time, uh, perhaps also relative to aliens that live underwater. So um, is this kid like swimming with them and and underwater with them and trying to do all the reindeer games that all the other Navi are doing? And like okay, this is a good, a good question. So OK, OK. First of all, based on the age of this kid, I would say that, like, would you say like 15, 16 years? OK, so a little yeah. older than I was envisioning. I was so envisioning the, like a seven year old Moppet who so is like barely floundering around. OK, got it. Early teens. Yeah. OK. By the way, like th- this is completely outside the scope of this movie. But like the, the only way this makes sense is if. Uh, Colonel Duke Nukem, who is like the head of security of the base in Avatar One, had a, a, a girlfriend, a wife, had a had a love in his life um, during the events of Avatar One, and conceived a child while on mission on Pandora, um, which seems almost like against his. He doesn't seem like the type who would do that. He was would, eminently sexless, sexless in the first. Right. It seems it seems like he would not be interested in in, in women. Um, in any case, like, you know, it, 
there was nothing in Avatar 1 to imply that he was a family man, and yet here, here he is with this child who was, like, presumably, like, an infant when he died, um, and was stuck here. But now now it's, like, 15, 16 years later. The kid is, like, very much a teenager. And to answer your question, the kid does not uh, – is captured by Quaritch before they leave for the, the, uh, the water region. So the kid is – they kind of have to abandon him because, like, he is, he is taken by the enemy. He is being kept in Edie Falco's armored citadel. They don't even attempt to rescue the kid, which on the one hand, it, it feels like, man, don't they want to try to save the kid? But on the other hand, it's like, what are they going to do? It's like they, they can't, you know, there's no way to, like, you know, get into this forest just to save, like, one kid. And so they decide to take the rest of the kids. He's got, like, five kids, by the way, including, Jake, like, a Jake two- Sully has five kids. Yeah, Jake Sully, okay. including, like, the youngest is, like, six or seven. It just exists to get captured again and again to give them stakes. Right, like, um, like Vin Diesel in Triple X. Yes, yeah, he just yeah, gets captured constantly. He does get captured, but that's but that's strategic. That's part <laughs> yeah. of his plan. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, so th- this kid, Quaritch's kid, which who's named Spider, who's okay. I don't think that was his Quaritch's name for him, but that is his uh, his sort of a uh, uh, Navi nickname. Nom's um, a Navi <laughs> is basically in an in an interesting place because he's a human, but he's been raised by Navi, and his real father is Quaritch. But his his real real father is Jake Sully, who's actually raised him and taught him everything he knows. But now he is he is in the custody of Courage once again. But it's not really his dad because he's human, and now his dad is a clone in an alien body. And they try, uh, so they try to bond. Spider, is what I'm saying. It's pretty interesting, actually. Like this could have been ex- so. Like one of the things we're trying to communicate here is like there are tons and tons and tons of ideas oh, in this wow. movie. Uh, it yeah. is like it, it's three hours long, right? And there's a lot there's a lot going on. And you can easily hopefully you can easily see how in the hands of a much lesser filmmaker, this movie would be garbage. Right. Yeah, right? sure. But Just no fish plots in general. Yeah, no, but it's, it's James. It's James Cameron. Right. Respect. Yeah, game. I mean, th- this is a movie about like a boy who befriends a talking whale. It is amazing. It's it's both gorgeous and really interesting and really deep and not at all cheesy. It is gorgeous, really deep. Really interesting, not at all cheesy. <laughs> it's I cheesy guess. at times. <laughs> Blanky, let's, let's, let's like. I, I am oh, still. No. I, mean, I am still. Just to do a little emotional, uh, little emotional inventory right now. I'm still savoring the whiff of Duke Nukem, the uber cis, uber straight, hyper masculine figure. Really, not having it be credible for him to have an actual physical relationship with a woman, which totally makes sense. That would necessitate that would result in him having a child, right? It's like, yeah, Duke Nukem will find the pixelated strip club, but he's not going to like actually make love. Right? Like he's not going to actually like <laughs> yeah, be with another person. That's exactly in that way, it. Right? Like hundred <laughs> percent. Okay. But like, yeah, let's, let's fast, try to fast forward to the to the climax of the movie because like there's there's a whole there's a lot. Are we goes skipping on two there. hours? How much are we skipping? <laughs> Sorry, fast forward to the climax. Oh, skipping. So, okay, so, so basically, my response and listen. There's so Edie, Edie Falco tells him that, like, strategically, your main goal is to get this Jake Sully guy because Jake Sully has – he knows too much. He knows too much about humans. He knows too much about, like, Marines. Uh, he's he's too dangerous, and he's the he's the linchpin of the, the Navi resistance, right? But, of course, Duke Nukem has a personal stake because he blames Jake Sully for his death. Um, 
and uh, blames Dick Sully for turning his own son against him. And so that, like, sort of besting Jake Sully becomes, like... And, in fact, like, at one point in the movie, he he's trying to learn Navi ways in order to, like, A, better understand them, but B, like, potentially be able to beat them in combat. And so that he, he goes to sort of tame one of those, like, flying bird creatures that they ride around, and he's going to get it with a, with a stun gun. And Spider, who sort of, like, has begrudgingly led him there, was just sort of like, pff, like, no real Navi would do it that way. And Cord's question to him is like, wait, did Jake Sully do it, like, without the stun gun? And he's, and, and the kid is like, of course Jake Sully did it without the stun gun. And Cord just, like, sort of throws down the stun gun. And is it, you can sort of see him sort of testing himself against this sort of antagonist and, and, and wanting to prove to himself that he's the better, I was going to say better man, but, of course, neither of them are men anymore. Um, so anyway, like at the towards the end of the movie, I, I do want to get into the third act that Mark keeps wanting to talk about. Um, Quaritch figures out where the, approximately where they're hiding, and he figures out that the whales are imported to them, and so that he has this plan to basically like to to go and hunt the whales in a very provocative way in order to draw the Navi out, because what he really wants is Jake Sully, and the whales are just bait. Hunt the whales in a provocative way. Got it. Excellent. Yeah. Now, because what is okay, the provocative so, way that he hunts the whales? So there, there is a well because usually they they hunt the whales um, far away from the navi. The the whales are, are migrational and they hunt them like way far away from the navi because they know that the whales have a special bond with the navi. And in fact, at one point in the movie, we see that like each whale has like a spiritual sister or brother among the whales that like they are they are mated with for life and like when not actually mated but like when the whales come back it's like they have they have a special everybody has a special whale friend um, so it's the not whale just has the one a, kid. clarifying question the whales have special bonds with the navi yes the not whales with other whales okay special bonds with that well presumably with other whales too okay sure um, okay and so that the humans, which, by the way, the uh, character that I, I want to very briefly mention, Jermaine Clement is in this movie as a marine biologist. I hope you were going to say a giant crab. That would have been amazing. That would have been crossover. <laughs> yeah. He does, like, nautical things, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. But but he's he's in this movie largely to explain some things about whale society to us, you know, and his sort of role as – he's basically a Sigourney Weaver equivalent where he's a scientist and he is – grudgingly sort of paired up with these horrible capitalist military people because that's the only way he gets access to these beautiful creatures but he hates what humans are doing there um and he makes it clear that like normally all the whale hunting goes on far away from the navi and the evidence of the whale hunting is carefully hidden because the navi would freak out if they knew that people were hunting the whales but Quaritch's idea is like no, no this time we're going to hunt the whales right in front of the navi because we want to rile them up to get Jake Sully out of the open, which which works perfectly. They're like, they hunt the whales, um, and the Navi, who were not fully aware, I think, that the whales were being hunted, find, like, all these bodies floating there. By the way, hardest scene in the movie to watch. There is a whale hunting scene that, I mean, I think is very closely mimicked after, like, real Earth whale hunting techniques where they, they purposely pick a mother with a cub to sort of pick it, to drive it out because they know that the mother would abandon the cub and that makes the mother easier to kill. And they, they just murder this thing. Uh, wow. And it is, it is tough to watch. Wow. So a realistic, it will, it will get you ready to, it is. Yeah. It's kind of, I mean, you know, it has futuristic technology. Actually during the whaling scene, they have these uh, actual crab robots who are, actual which are so robot. cool to watch. Okay. Um, yeah, like, like robots that look like crabs, um, and that like when they jump off the ship, they do like a cool little, they have a, they have like a, uh, like a, a bar, like a monkey bar that they swing from to like, you know, get out from the ship into the water. Uh, I mean like a lot of like they're, really they're much cool. more satisfi satisfying than, uh, the power armor. 
though that's yeah. criticized <laughs> from the first exactly. one. the robots are much more creative in this one um but in any case so like the 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 whales are hunted in a provocative way and that they the of course the the kids the teenagers are like oh no my my friend whale doesn't hang out with the rest of the whales because he's been ostracized. He's been he's been falsely accused of a crime. Let's not get into that. But literally, that, <laughs> this one whale has been kicked out of whale society because they think that the whale did something bad, but okay. he didn't actually. The whale do. has been falsely accused of a crime, and so is an outsider right. like Emilio he, Estevez or something. Okay, because of that, the whale is vulnerable. So that the teenagers <laughs> go out to try to save the whale and do save the whale, but get themselves captured. And so that sets up the final act where Corge has the kids and is like. Okay, now I'm gonna kill Jake Sully because I have his children, and he has no choice but to basically like trade himself. Uh, so, Mark, uh, what do you? Oh, wait, sorry, I'm gonna talk. Well, I'm gonna say one more thing, and then I'm gonna let Mark talk. One thing I really admired about this movie is that it is very difficult to make a sequel that has smaller stakes mm-hmm. on, a, on a global sense. Then, like, think about like the first Avengers movie. In the first Avengers movie, they are fighting to save the world, right? And in the second Avengers movie, imagine if the final battle with the Avengers at the end was just to save Hawkeye's kids. Right. And right. the world is not, is not at stake here. The world, the worst case scenario that happens is that Hawkeye loses his children. Um, that's the end of Avatar two. And it's absolutely spectacular. The action is great. The, you know, like you really are invested in, in every moment, but I admire the fact that it is not an apocalyptic battle for the sake of the planet with armies of thousands hitting each other. It's maybe, I think like 50 Navi are fighting on one side versus one whaling ship full of like Marines and, and grizzled uh, whalers. Yeah. There's like the whale mothership. There's, there's, a, there's crucially, there's a smaller uh, whaling ship, which, uh, you know, it adds some dynamism to the action, but yeah, the, the, the broader point is, is hundred percent correct there. Blinky that, um, um, the, the stakes are reduced. It, it, it makes this. I want to take a little detour here and then get back to the to talking about the story and like the real key uh, piece of the ending here. Like this is uh, a real credit to James Cameron and his craft, and is in real contrast to um, these other action movies. Like visually, they're too busy. You can't track what's going on. And here in this movie, um, sure, there are many elements there, but they are all kind of put on the screen and arranged more thoughtfully. So that it does a couple of things. One is that your focus is pulled. Um, you're, you're never having trouble focusing on what's important. And also the, the the things that are put on the screen are rendered much more artistically um, than the kind of the uh, um, uh, I'm throwing a little shade here, like assembly line CGI that we see again in, the, in these in these Marvel movies that um, just just something doesn't feel quite right or, or, or lacks a certain weight to it. So um, can I ask a question yeah. about that? I had read that. There was a bit of not controversy, but at least discussion of the fact that at times during this movie, if you're watching it in digital 3D, the frame rate changes because James Cameron determined that the stereoscopic effects in watching 3D break down a little bit cognitively when the object that you're looking at is reorienting in space, like flipping over while um while it's in a low frame rate that your eyes lose might lose track of it or lose track of the 3d and so there are places where the frame rate accelerates to help your brain locate and process the information about where the objects are in space which is the opposite of what michael bay would do with the the transformers movies where he would 
you know, throw a bunch of iron filings into a paper shredder and then and then uh, fire the paper shredder at the camera while he was taking video of Sheila Booth just so that there was maximum debris <laughs> that he didn't actually do that. But I mean, did you is this something that happens in the movie in an obvious way? Uh, this is what it heard was going to happen. And it seemed like people were making a big deal of it. Were there obvious points at which the frame rate changed, especially if you're talking about how the action scenes are laid out and made easy to track? Was that part of it? Did it happen? It was in not part of it for me. Okay. So, like, importantly, like, not all presentations of this movie have the high frame rate. Uh, but I believe Blinky did get this treat. Yeah, I did, and I didn't notice it the first time it happened, but partially because I was looking at it. But I honestly found this to be so immersive that after a while. You, it, it was difficult for me to just sort of appraise the special effects as special effects. It just looked like reality to me. It just looked like this hyper high definition version. You know, I, I mean, there definitely were times early in this movie where I was thinking like, what elements on the screen are real? Like, is the water real? Like, I know the Navi aren't real, but like, is the water real? Is the background real? Uh, you know, it, I mean, there are elements where like a Navi will be like picking up a human, and I'm wondering like, how could they have possibly shot that? Uh, is it just Edie Falco on a green screen and everything else is fake? But then, like, I mean, after a while, I just I found this to be like so hypnotically beautiful. And, you know, there, and there's nothing that that looks fake to pull me out of the action. That like you just accept it. I yep. I, I just uh, you know, and I mean, I was watching it like you know, an IMAX 3D. I'm just a massively big screen, and I found it to be almost like a like I went into like a trance almost, and, and I was just sort of watching this, um, just just sort of almost like pleasantly numbed by the intensity of the visuals. <laughs> Do you think that it? Did you become a proper water person while you were watching this movie? Did you integrate with it? Did you feel at home in its environment or did you feel alienated from the strange people that were in it? The blue people. No, I mean, I, honestly, I, I don't know if it's, if it's strange or not, but like it, it is, it's very easy to uh, root against the humans in this movie. It, I mean, it's, it's crazy that these are some of the biggest movies ever made, right. By, or, you know, by, by many metrics, Avatar one and two are the two biggest movies ever made. And they're basically about like, you know, how terrible humans are and how they all need to be destroyed and how like, you know, <laughs> terrorist actions against like, you know, the capital, uh, like, you know, how, how awful capitalism is. And, you know, it's a really like anti, um, anti everything movie. It's, 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 it's a really subversive movie in a lot of ways. Um, but, you know, of, of course, it itself is like a massive commercial product that, like, you know, makes right. you want to go to Disneyland to ride the I ride. Mean, see also Terminator 2, which was just like on one level, a, a screed against advanced technology and also at the same time was using the most advanced technology on the computer technology on the planet to render killer robots that we're supposed to be afraid of. Yeah. Um, OK, so let me try to bring us over to the finish line here, Blinky, if, if, you, if I may, um, to because what you just talked about there is kind of like the anti, you know, the quote unquote anti-human message and then the conflict really comes at a very interesting spot at the end of the movie which is that you know there's this whole battle you know and you know there's the the kids are being held hostage by quaritch and, and um and he, you know he and of course he and sully get into this uh you know this deadlock fight to the death and um sully ultimately prevails and there's a lot of holding of breath with the water there's also this like other metaphysical thing going on with one of sully's kids and she helps to save the day because she has extra ways of communing with nature and things like that but let's go back to spider um, and how he plays into this, which is that um, at one point in the climactic fight, um, Neytiri, right, Sully's wife, 
um, takes Spider hostage. And earlier, this is um, this is uh, um, uh, presaged earlier in the movie because like Nateri has this hostility towards um, this human child um, and just doesn't really fully accept him uh, as part of their uh, their society of, the, of, the, of their family. Um, and as um, Quaritch has taken one of Sully's kids, you know, that the whole in you know, a standoff thing where he got the gun to the, the, the kid's head kind of thing. Nateri does the same thing with Spider. And Why is Spider is there? Yeah, Spider is on the boat. For the, the the huge climax, Spider's dad just sort of brings him to work with him. Uh, yeah, yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah, well, because, because Spider knows the territory, right? Sp- and Spider knows okay. Jake Sully specifically, and so that, that at first, like Edie Falco is straight up torturing Spider to try to get information about like where where are the Navi, and Spider is, is hanging tough and won't tell them anything. And Quart is sort of like, well, I'm kind of his dad. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll try to butter him up a little bit uh, and see what I can get out of him. And then and, and it kind of works that Spider. Not so much because Quaritch is dad, but because like, he wants to be useful, because he wants to, like, show off how much he knows. Like, eventually he does start to tell them things about Navi society, and he does sort of tell them, you know, how to how to harness those flying beasts. And um, But then it, it, it is – it's it's a rough movie for Spider-Beast. He spends most of the movie captured by the humans, and then, like, as soon as he gets back to the Navi, the first thing that happens is his adopted mom threatens to kill him <laughs> as leverage. First thing that happens, 15-year-old kid trying to tell everybody everything he knows to prove that he's worth something. And then, yeah, his stepmom is is all up in his business. <laughs> it's, th- I much. mean, this is very much like a Game of Thrones about how, like, Jon Snow is a, is adopted into the Starks. Mm-hmm. And, and the mom is, like, a little on the fence about it. And you could totally imagine, like, Caitlin Stark, like, uh, uh, threatening to kill Jon Snow if it was going to get Rob back. Right? right? Like, that's the situation that we have at the end. So, Mark, uh, what was what's going on with it? Yeah, to cap it all off here, um, Korch seems like he is drowning to death. And Spider decides, oh, it's my dad. And so he, he saves his his um, his uh, uh, avatarified Navi dad, um, you know, brings him up to the surface. And like and you can see on his face, like he's very conflicted. About well, this, wait, hold it, it, hold it. I think you, you, you missed something else important, which is that the first thing that happens is Korch saves him. That because the, the bluff works that at, that at first, um, Mm, right. What, yes. What, yes. Like Nateri is like, I'm gonna kill Spider if you don't release my children. And of course, Courage is like, dude, I'm like a clone. This kid isn't my kid. Why would I like sacrifice the mission to like save Spider? And then when it seems like Nateri is actually, she's got the crazy eyes. She's gonna do it. That Courage is like, all right, all right, all right, just don't hurt him, and and lets the kids go. And so it is. It is sort of like right. the the first time. I mean, maybe not the first time in the movie we've seen a hint of it, but the first time he actually admits that he feels something for this kid, that he feels a paternal love for this kid, that he's not just using him to accomplish the mission, that he's willing to blow the mission to save him. Um, and the kid kind of returns the favor by saving his life. Yes. It's legitimately interesting and moving, too. Um, it's it's kind of like that. that and, and I, I criticize, uh, I guess, yeah, I, it's, let's say that, I criticize the movie for being like pretty predictable plot-wise and um, in terms of stock characters and situations and things like that. But the Quaritch and Spider stuff, um, was by far the most interesting uh, things going on in this movie. It had me surprised, um, and I'm, I'm, I'm gen- now I am genuinely interested to see what they do with this character, of course. If he goes fully native and like does a does a face turn, and then they <laughs> upload his consciousness into other Navi bodies, and they send evil Quaritches after good Quaritch. I'm calling that so, by the way for Avatars three, four, and or five. So this is the climactic act, the saving of Quaritch by Spider. Does that bring an end to the fight? Pretty much, I'm yeah. Trying to remember. Well, this, also, so we many... also left out the part where where Sully's oldest child dies in the fight. 
Yeah, oh. so there's they, they lose somebody, but of course Sully's much like Rob Stark. Sully's oldest child is is kind of the least interesting because he's the golden child. He's right, perfect. Yeah. He's dutiful, and it's like the the younger children who are all sort of like conflicted and like don't understand their role and don't understand their powers are obviously going to be much more interesting. And it's almost like you need to you need to kill off the oldest child who's the sort of heir apparent and is like the glue holding the family together to let everyone else blossom in future avatars. So the good guys lose. I, I mean, arguably, I mean, yes. The, so the what happens at the end is that all the humans, first of all, all the humans are squad wiped except for Corage. Corage survives, okay. but presumably has to hitchhike home. Um, so, so all you know, the whalers are dead. The the, all the, the whalers squad are, is beneath the waves. Okay, got it. Yes, the the ship sinks. All the whalers are dead. Maybe Jermaine Clement survived. We don't really see. Um, but and then the the Navi. They they managed to save the whale that was menaced, but then the oldest son dies. So and, and it does end with this sort of note of tragedy, where the last thing that happens in the movie is that the the grieving parents go and sort of connect with the underwater version of the the magical tree that allows them to access the sort of memories of the of the dead and connect to sort of the the spirit of the planet. And they and Jake Sully experiences this really a beautiful scene where he sort of like relives a happy moment with his son that it, 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 the interesting thing about it is it, is it's not just his memory it's the dead son's memory as well because the dead son's been absorbed into the earth i feel bad about keep calling him the dead son but it's like it's a shared memory that they have that they can keep sort of reliving by connecting with this with the spirit and that's the last thing that happens in the movie is this sort of note of grace and and sort of acceptance and and sort of processing grief um, which is, brings us back to a theme that we were going to talk about, but didn't quite get into it, which is like different modes of immortality. Yeah. That people why don't you unpack that a little bit? Cause we have a little bit of time left when this, cause you said immortality yeah. is a big story here and hearing about the sharks and the whales and the fathers and sons, I get a yeah. little bit of immortality there, but there must be something happening thematically more than what you've been telling me about. Well, I'm. I, it was made clear in the first movie that one of the special abilities of Pandora is that, like, every living creature is part of this giant planet-wide biological network, uh, you know, that all, the, all these creatures have the ability to sort of link into each other and experience each other's thoughts and feelings. But also, like, you know, when they when they die, they get absorbed sort of into this hive mind. And their experiences become part of that. And that's, in fact, the sort of mechanism by which Jake Sully is able to exit his human body and permanently enter his avatar body. And it also is one thing that we haven't even mentioned. There's there is so much here, Pete, that is crazy that like we could podcast about this another two hours and we'd still be forgetting major plot points. Um, uh, Sigourney Weaver is back. She, oh. she she died in the first movie, but if you recall that she died, she was she was mere seconds away from being transferred into it into a Navi body, right? She was in the process of being absorbed, but she wasn't strong enough to survive, and so she sort of died almost in in mid journey. And then, like the the movie begins, um, and we just sort of hear in in voiceover, Jake Sully says that that uh, Grace's Sigourney Weaver's Navi body, which was sort of just like lying in stasis in like a tube, right? Because she's gone, but like, you know, her, her avatar survived. That avatar is mysteriously pregnant and has given birth to a, to a girl child, which of course they decide to raise. And uh, somehow has has Sigourney Weaver's voice and also motion capture. Um, And the the child has Sigourney Weaver's voice. Yes. Sigourney Weaver, 70, whatever year old Sigourney Weaver voices like a 13 year old girl. 
Okay. In this movie. And, and the Avatar body, which was bereft of any sort of consciousness or sort of genie in the bottle, has has given birth to this child that grows up to be preteen Sigourney Weaver. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then okay. there's, yeah. <laughs> there's one really, really cool scene where they're like the, the sort of preteen Sigourney Weaver comes into the lab and like looks at her mom's body, which is still has been floating in this tube for the last like 16 years. It just sort of gives like a hi, mom. Um, and it's and it's and, and, and one point in the movie has like a dream where she gets to talk to Sigourney Weaver, who still sort of is living inside the the high mind of the of the planet. But in any case, like it's it's very clear and is reiterated in this final scene where they uh, Jake Sully connects and sort of shares a memory with his his deceased son that like there's a sort of immortality when you when you sort of like live on Pandora and you live in harmony with nature, you can sort of like um, live a, a part of you lives on. Um, and and the people you love can still sort of access a part of you through the the mechanism of this sort of awa, this earth spirit. This is uh, sorry, not earth, this Pandora spirit. So that's sort of the the spiritual sort of naturalistic kind of immortality. There's also the 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 immortality that um, is is sort of driving the capitalist engine because the the new MacGuffin of this movie, since they moved to the water, we're not after an obtainium anymore. Presumably that's still being mined. But the the real um currency here is the reason that they're whaling is because there's a substance in the whale's brains that stops human aging. And and it is ridiculously expensive. So imagine that it is once again it's an Elysium situation where only like the top point oh 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 one percent of Earthlings, you know, the trillionaires can afford this, but they live forever by the brutal uh, killing of these beautiful majestic animals. So that's like this sort of the the devil's bargain immortality of number two. But then like the the thing that I, I keep coming back to. Is the 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 sort of immortality that Courage and the rest of the Marines have to Marines have to experience because they're so nonchalant about it that that before they go on a mission and this is apparently standard before like any Marine goes on a mission you um you know basically back up your data the same way you would in a video game before you go into like a boss battle you make sure you save so that if you die you can just start from where you saved before. And so that what what happens here is that they all died at the end of Avatar One. That all the Marines died, um, and they all find themselves reincarnated in alien bodies and sent right back to Pandora to try again. And this is horrific. This is I, I mean, I, there's something really grim about the idea that like there's soldiers that die in combat and their reward instead of going to like Valhalla or, or getting to retire, you know, to some sort of virtual paradise is like, they just have to keep fighting and dying forever. Like in that Tom Cruise movie. Yep. And, and, and not only that, but like they are literally stripped of their humanity that they get put in this alien body to better kill the aliens that already killed them. And none of them complain about it. None of them question it. They all just sort of like, accept like, this is what it's like to be a Marine. This is the deal we signed up for. You know, they, they make some sort of gallows humor joke about it, and they just – they and it's actually – it's really funny but also really grim that they get um, marine outfits that are Navi-sized, including, like, Oakley's that are, like, giant, <laughs> giant, giant Oakley's. Um, and they, they dress like they did when they were, like, human operators, when they were, like, human Delta Force, but they're in these big blue alien bodies – 
and they just like they just they go back to what they're doing before and death has meant next to nothing for them and presumably like th- those same characters could easily come back in avatar 3 um and, you know they just keep coming back because like that's their fate yeah. and it doesn't there's even occur to them like, that there's anything else they could do there's like an agent smith and matrix thing going on a little bit right let's get like yeah. well that's that's at least like where this conceivably go they just kind of keep getting copied and, and there's like more and more and more of them which like that's not that kind of movie i don't think but although you know we'll we'll, we'll see um but what we talked about with all these different types of meditations on immortality and death and things like that um i mean my like Occam's razor explanation is that James Cameron is getting older and like, this is what is, uh, is his way of processing his own upcoming, um, you know, demise. Um, but that being said, I mean like, you know, again, let's go back to Terminator two, right. About, you know, um, the sort of importance of death and passing on, um, and legacy and that sort of thing. Like it's been in his movies before. Um, it's just like, it's, it, it this, this, this feels like the everything movie in that it's like, okay, let's like, let's have it all life, death, colonialism environmental destruction um in space all of it um it's it's quite intense um and it it doesn't fully go explore all of it right you know that that uh, the space whale stuff that we just talked about before is handled in like a almost a throwaway uh, line of exposition dialogue um you know we do not have a do not have a cutaway of super tr- rich trillionaires on earth um, living to the ripe old age of 200. Um, but you gotta feel like that's going to be explored in a sequel. The, yeah. The, the, that at some point you get back to earth. One of my guesses, I made some sort of fun little, uh, predictions with my own family about what would happen in this movie and one of my guesses is that they do the reverse avatar that in order to like uh infiltrate the humans and take them out once and for all jake sully has to get back into a human mm-hmm. body mm-hmm. um and and that's like a very like bittersweet and disgusting experience for him to like have to have to retake on the old flesh um and I could that did not happen here, but I could see it happening at some point that like he has to basically they love fish out of water stories in the Avatar universe, right? That like, you know, it's Jake Sully has to learn the way of the trees and now he has to learn the way of the water. And maybe like in the final Avatar movie or the penultimate Avatar movie, he has to somehow teach the Navi to pass as human, which I realized like it sounded a lot cooler before I realized. I think this is a plot point in several Harry Potter movies where it's like we got to sneak into Slytherin, guys, and we're going to have to act like Slytherin to do it. <laughs> It it is absolutely. Right, so I have I have one question. I should see this movie because what you've been describing sounds amazing. The everything movie, indeed. The what question that has stuck with me since I heard the name of this movie, the way of water is is the Bruce Lee connection. It feels like with a name like that, there should be some connection to Bruce Lee's famous discussion of being like water and filling the object that surrounds you, filling the container, taking the shape of the situation rather than rigidly insisting upon your own shape. And one dimension of it seems to potentially be this everything dimension that a movie, a movie without form, it's all of the James Cameron movies poured into one big bucket. And, and it's, and the Jeet Kune Do philosophy involves learning a lot of different things so that they can all be synthesized into a formless style that can fit the situation. Um, But I suppose there might be some form of what, I guess what passivity? No, Uh, the, the sense of integration 
maybe that's the thing that 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 trips me up or that makes me think here it makes me think i really need to see the movie to to know what's going on with it but if this movie is a series of different integrations of one person or this other person into a identity that's associated with a community and circumstance and biology and all of these different system relationships like you have the individual and the individual in the physical body and the individual in the physical body has all these different system relationships with other individuals and other physical things and then by transposing the individual into a different physical body or into a different environment these are all different forms of relocating the individual in a way that so many things about them change and water one of the ways of water is taking the shape of its containers another way of water is dissolving and mixing and flowing um but also other ways of water are when it freezes it it becomes less dense and it wrecks the road or you know water is something that can drip and drip and drip and destroy a mountain right like there's so many things that water could be water is such an open-ended symbol that I'm curious if you come away from this movie with a clear feeling or sense or idea of what this, I'm assuming it's not one thing, but what the sort of scope or vocabulary of the water in the way of water, like what is it that is the water? Um, what is the, what is, if you were to live, if you go from the way of the trees into the way of the water, uh, then, or you go from the way of the spaceship into the way of the water, what is the way you have taken on? Like, what is the method? What is the, you know, what is the Mandalorian, this is the way situation that you're now privy to that you weren't privy to before? I mean, there, um, there is a, there's a monologue that, okay. is, that is given by, by one of the sort of C-Navi and I think repeated later in the movie once it's sort of internalized that, I, that I've been Googling while you've been talking. Sure. Um, and it, I, I don't find it particularly um, meaningful to me because it, it feels like a it's, it's uh, the way of water has no beginning and no end the sea is around you and in you the sea is your home before your birth and after your death the sea gives and the sea takes water connects all things life to death darkness to light but it's so set that on a set that to a sea shanty and sing it on tiktok i think we'd be famous that, i mean that reminds me of stuff my dad used to tell me when i was a kid about how the salt how the salt content of your blood and the salt content of the ocean are not that different how yeah. the yeah the sort of humans are made of water okay so that's one of the at least in that speech humans are mostly made of water Navi animals that live on land is. came out of the water and the there's a sort of ship of theseus argument that water is flowing in and out of us at all times and we might be in error to think of ourselves as separate from the water which yeah. can be writ large to be our environment but then of course environment engages with the notion of kind of natural fallacy and the idea that humans are separate from the environment. We've talked about this in the podcast before, the idea that the environment is the, the nature and the environment are things that are separate from humans as distinct from the idea that humans are, even at their worst, part of the environment and part of nature, uh, which has discursive issues and problems. I think Stokes and I were at, not at loggerheads, but in a rather sharp disagreement about that in one of the podcasts now, of perspective. We had different sort of default understandings of the symbol. Um, but so the idea is, is what we come out of the water, you know, from dust to dust, but from water to water, that kind of thing. Well, I, I want to ask a question of, to Mark. Mark, do you think that the movie believes that the way of water, that the that the culture of the water Navi is superior to the culture of the forest Navi, as opposed to just like, here's a different biome and this is how they live? It because felt a about little bit that, like, like that towards the end. In particular, where I think Jake's, this is Jake Sully's final monologue, 
um, it indicates that like, oh, this is where we belong. We are, we are water people now. Um, like, which is, it's a different way of saying like, there's no turning back. We can't go back to where we were before. This is home now. It's more like water is awesome. Water is great. Water is. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the sort of the metatextual thing is that like James Cameron clearly loves the ocean, and he probably prefers like all things being equal, he would prefer to make more Avatar stories in the water and explore more of the water than he would prefer to explore more of the jungle, yeah. right? But I'm I'm curious if if he somehow feels like there's a deeper truth to the perhaps that like the 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 true heart of the planet is in the oceans. And that, like, the water people are more in tune with things. I mean, if, if it's there, it's a very mild suggestion. You know, it, 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 it seemed like more of what you were saying, Mark, where it's just sort of like, like, this is our adopted culture, but it's not because it's better. It's because, like, these people took us in on our need, and this is this is where our son died. And so, like, this is where, like, we, we feel like we are, we're not going back. Like th- this is the m- more meaningful place for us now, but it's not necessarily better and more correct. Well, uh, there's a counter to that though, to, to back up the first idea that I had, which is that like, you know, out the water stuff is, is better. The water environment and this way of life is better. Is that, um, Sigourney Weaver character, Sigourney Weaver's character, the teen daughter, um, is able to self-actualize, not just in the society, but while she is underwater, if I recall correctly, like there is something there that allows her to activate her uh, borderline supernatural and metaphysical connection to not just Iwa, but like the other fish in the sea. Right. Like, like, you know, that's, to be clear on this. Right. Like one of the ways that she helps her family get out of the, the wreckage of the boat when they're all trapped in various waterlogged compartments is that like I think she like psychically directs um, all the, the, the glowing animals to lead a trail to um the, to, to the rest of her family to get them out right am, am i remember am i remember, remembering that correctly matt yeah no i i think that's fair that like the sigourney weaver character clearly is is seems activated by the water arguably it's sort of like she's coming of age. you know she's at the age where your mutant power comes out and you right. need to go yeah. to like the, the xavier school um but yeah it does seem like there's it is interesting that like the the very last thing that happens in the movie is this sort of monologue where he's like the water is our home now we're not leaving but it does sort of feel like they've got three more avatar movies planned and I don't expect them to just all be set in the ocean so I'm I'm of course there's many many things that could happen at the next one that would force them to either temporarily or permanently you know go go uh, learn the way of ice or the way of the desert and just make dune or something. <laughs> I think it'll be a a Phantom Menace situation where the core of the Earth is water and they have to take a little Mm. goofy submarine through the planet core to get to the other side of the planet. Um, One one thing I expected to happen in this movie that did not just because James Cameron, you know, I'm thinking of the abyss specifically is that there's something specifically about the deep ocean, the mysteries of like, you know, when you when you swim dangerously deep into the into the dark. And, and get closer to the heart of the planet and, and the mysteries down there. Because one thing they don't really do is go deep, right? Like they're, when, when they're swimming around, it's always like, you know, 30, 50 feet of water. You can sort of see the surface. There's plenty of light. And I, I am sort of wondering if like in the next movie and if they keep exploring the ocean, there's something about like the deep the, the deep water or the unexplored depths of the ocean, right? Because that, that would be very Cameron. Yeah, the abyss, as we said. Yeah, to go, to go looking into, to have an underwater adventure where it's like, Let's go into the part of the ocean that like is not our that that is not our backyard. 
uh, that like no, nobody's ever gone to before. That would truly be Pandora's box. Uh-huh. <laughs> before we leave, before I felt we inappropriate. Leave, before we leave this layer of the ocean, just like we very quickly glossed over the fact that the boat sinks, right? And like just yeah. to be clear, right? This movie sinks the boat in a way that uh, goes over the top, like well beyond what uh, how spectacular it was in Titanic, right? But specifically, like it you is know, a more spectacular sinking boat than Titanic in yes, Titanic, because in Titanic the boat merely sank at a ninety degree angle into the water. Uh, in Avatar: Way of the Water, it does that, and then it also completely flips over to one hundred eighty degrees. Um, is it a big boat? It's not that big. It's not nearly as big as Titanic, to be clear. So it um, capsizes by flipping over. Yeah, yeah. It's, okay. a, it's, it's a pretty big boat. It's, it's thrilling and it looks awesome. It's thrilling and it looks What's awesome. Important? Okay. It's thrilling and it looks awesome. I wasn't picking that up and I, I'm realizing, you know what? In rephrasing it, I was putting my own spin on it and not – I haven't seen the movie. I don't know. It's thrilling and it looks yes. awesome. Yes. Let me repeat that to you, Pete. In case <laughs> our impression of this movie has not been clear enough, it is thrilling and it looks awesome. This is a thrilling movie. It seems like it was pretty great and pretty interesting and full of good stuff. Yeah. Uh, all right. I mean, what I what I really liked about this movie is that I I personally did not think it was too long. I know people complained about the length, but I I think that it was exactly the parts that made it so long that like were some of the most beautiful, interesting parts. The parts where they're just sort of exploring their environments, um, and you know, getting to sort of know the these like inner family um, moments. But the the fact that, like, even at the end of the movie, like, you know, a lot happened, but, like, you know, the, the situation is not radically different at the end of the movie than it was at the beginning. That, like, he's still just trying to figure out, like, how to survive on a planet where, like, the humans are here and they're not going away and how to protect his family. And he doesn't actually there's, – there's certainly no plan at the end of the movie. It's just sort of like he's lived – you know, some of them have lived to to fight another day and it's and it's we're gonna have to wait another two years to find out like if they if they fight back or if they retreat farther um but it, it is it, it's it's a movie that was like much more interested in just sort of like exploring the world and letting us get to know these people than it was about telling this like epic story about like the fate of the planet which is nice it felt refreshing yeah. Generally agreed, but just but just to reiterate what we said before, right? The second son has like self-actualized. He's gone on a bit of a hero's journey and is you know, set up to be like, you know, the heir apparent and the future leader, right? And there, you can easily is- see there's five, there's three more movies left to go here, right? That like Jake Sully, you know, could die, and then it's going to be, uh, you know, the the, the son's turn turn to lead. There, there is like a very like tear jerky moment where the the father finally like looks at his his troubled middle son and gives him an ICU that is truly laden with meaning and 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 they, they both sort of choke up and I I I I like that they're sort of taking a, the little uh, cliche tagline of the first movie and actually making it mean something. Yeah, man, the four words you thought you'd never hear about Avatar on this podcast truly laden with meaning. If we could offer you any present on our 15-year anniversary of this website, <laughs> perhaps that's the present we give to you, a little tied up in a bow. Thank you, Martin, Mark and Matt, for joining me today and for talking so that I can listen. I just want to let you know I hear you. I can't see you because this is an audio <laughs> recording, but I can hear you, and I'm and I'm and I'm listening, and I'm trying to listen. This is Fraser Crane, and I'm listening. Uh, and and I think that honestly, my patience. 
that I forced upon myself to avoid making lots of jokes about this movie has paid off because this really sounds unremarkable. And now I really want to go see it. So uh, I'll figure out when I have time in my busy schedule to make that happen. And uh, I thank you, listener, for taking time in your busy schedule to listen to us. And please come join us on our Discord. You can find the invite on the website. Uh, talk to us in the comments. We love to hear what you have to say about The Way of Water, about water in general. How wild is it that it becomes less dense when it freezes? There's so much weird stuff about water, people. It's amazing. Um, uh, but to continue on all that, we'll just meet you on the web at Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It, it probably, probably doesn't, doesn't, doesn't deserve. deserve.